Hi there. Welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Tuesday, August 25th. Today on the podcast, we go inside a police sting operation to shut down organized street racing in York Region. And we'll get a sense of how receptive you'd be to Shoppers Drug Mart offering you COVID-19 tests at their pharmacies, if you're asymptomatic, that is. Speaking of COVID tests, let's start off by trying to get to the heart of the holdup on COVID-19 saliva tests in Canada. Dr. Michael Glogauer is a professor in the Faculty of Dentistry at the University of Toronto, and he also thinks we got to get a move on here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Good to have you on. Thanks for having me. Any idea why we're so far behind the United States who have five working saliva-based tests? Well, I, I think that the, you know, from a research standpoint, there's always more funds, there's more people, um, there's more of an entrepreneurial approach to everything, and uh, there's just been more urgency. And so I think they're ahead. Now, we can use that to our advantage because we have access. Um, we speak the same language in, in both in science and both uh, linguistically. And, uh, you know, there are many companies in the States who would be happy to come, who want to come north to Canada. And it's just a matter of us uh, helping to bridge that gap and getting those tests into our system. Okay, what do you mean by getting those tests into our system? I mean, what do you have to do if you are one of these U.S. companies? You've got a working saliva-based test. It's showing some positive results as far as accuracy. How do you get it through so that it can be approved for use in Canada? Right. So one example is, you know, I, I have a relationship with one of these companies, and we've been going through the steps that are required to get a test into the Canadian system. And, um, you know, because the test has to first go through Health Canada at the federal level. And then once it's approved at that level, it can then make its way down into the provincial system. And then it's up to the provincial authorities to determine which tests they're going to bring into their into their environment. And, uh, you know, that's, it's that dual layer that sometimes has been, to be quite frank, has been a little bit cumbersome uh, for us to try to get the test in. We're, you know, talking to the different levels, um, going back and forth. Sometimes it's unclear exactly what needs to be done. But, you know, I think that the, the Health Canada is really making, is, is pushing forward now, even in the last 24 hours, is making, uh, I, I've, I've had contact with them based on some of the articles that have come out. And so I really think that the push is on, and that very shortly we'll be able to get these tests into the system. Now, not all COVID-19 saliva-based tests are created equally because um, some you have to actually take the results, you you know, you take the saliva and then it goes to a lab to be processed. Others, they work like a pregnancy kit. Why wouldn't we be focusing on the ones that are instantaneous, that don't need to take up um, the lab time that we have uh, allocated and, you know, we've already run into problems with that, uh, with the processing of the swabs. Right. So so not all tests are created equal, as you've said. And there are um, a saliva test where the color changes right in front of you uh, is an excellent technology, but it's, it lags far behind. And there's a lot of testing that needs to be done to make sure that what it's reporting is actually accurate. Um, Uh, We know that the lab-based tests do work, and there is enough testing capacity in the system. Um, You know, the test can be done within 24 hours. So um, I I think that we want to – one of the reasons there are these different layers within the governmental system is that you've got to make sure that the tests that are approved actually report accurately what they're claiming to. The worst thing you could do would be to bring in a test – 
Everyone have confidence in it, and the and the actual results be, become erroneous or not as accurate as you'd like. That would create uh, a lot of havoc within the system and loss of confidence. So, uh, on the governmental side, you have to make sure that the tests are actually uh, sort of accurately reporting what they're claiming to be reporting. And so, it, we're much further ahead in being able to use saliva tests that use the current PCR or laboratory-based pa- platform. And that's the way that you know that's definitely going to be the initial for and. Whether you could see the test result within within minutes versus within a day, uh, on the larger scale thing from uh, from a population standpoint, within 24 hours will be enough uh, to be able to do what needs to be done for contact tracing and isolating people. Is there a potential for backlog then, creating a new backlog with saliva tests that have to be processed at the lab? Because I, I hear that there is a hesitancy from some people that are just, you know, feeling a little bit under the weather, but they don't want to get the swab up the nose test because right. they have heard that it's painful. Um, if they had ability to go and, and access these saliva tests, they still had to go to a lab. You could be putting your testing numbers up again and putting stress on the lab. Right, and so then it would be up to the province, uh, up to the province to um, certify or allow more labs to do the testing. The PCR test is a very, uh, it's a standard uh, assay or test that's used uh, a lot, uh, amongst many, many, many labs. And I think that there's no doubt from what I've heard that there's lots of labs that would like to be certified uh, by the province, and the province has sort of arrested that right now because they feel that they have they have enough capacity. But I think mm. um, should these saliva tests come online, that there would be certainly labs available that could jump in and help cover off some of this increased testing. Do you find that unusual, that labs are right now not being certified? The, the province is like, ah, no, we're good, we're good, we don't need you right now. Why wouldn't you go through the process of quickly certifying them just in case we get a second wave and the second wave is way, is worse than the first wave? I mean, that seems like to me to be very short-sighted. Um, all I can say is that I don't disagree with you. Okay. So... We're on the same page there. Let, let's talk about the idea. So if we're short-sighted there, is there anything else that's standing out to you where we may want to get a move on here beyond saliva-based testing and upping the speed with which we are approving some of these test kits coming into Canada? Right. So, you know, I, I think that th- th- there's definitely an urgency there. And I think that um, it needs to be, th- there's definitely, the, on the testing side, we need to do everything we can to get saliva-based tests because the nasal swabs are not going to work for children. They don't work for most adults either from the standpoint of nobody really is so keen to have that testing done. And really the key to um, getting society back and having it function as normally as possible is to have everybody have, have a test widely available and that where people are not hesitant to go get the test done. Because I, I'm sure you've seen it, this virus is not going to go away perhaps ever and so we have to develop systems that people are used to routinely going to get tested when necessary and that there's no hesitancy because that's really going to be where the block comes in, where uh, we, we have a, a problem of things returning back to a sort of an out-of-control out pandemic again, as you've seen happen in some states in the United States. What do you think about the idea of, uh, of, the, of Premier Ford saying that he is considering allowing for COVID testing to happen at Shoppers Drug Mart stores? For people that are asymptomatic, do you think that that is going to um, take some of the hesitancy? I know it's still the swab test um, away from people being tested. The fact that they know they can, oh, I'm going to pick up, you know, this or that at the shopper's drug run. I might as well just get myself tested. 
So I, I think I think that's a, that's a brilliant uh, idea because, for example, as an example, I mean, the, as widespread as you can get the testing, one of the tests that we want to try to go forward with is to is where you can actually do the test on yourself with a very specific swab of your oral tissues, and that could be done by ch- parents at home on their children. The test could be then sent into the school. The school could bundle it, send it off to the lab, and it would be a very very uh, inexpensive and very rapid way. I think the key element is to try to get as much testing as possible. Um, I think uh, Premier Ford's idea is brilliant. I think that the next level would be so that people could actually do the tests on their own, send it off to the lab, and within 24 hours hear an, hear, hear an answer. That takes the, the pressure off the healthcare system to actually have nurses or people who are actually capable of doing the swabs up the nose. It also mm-hmm. decreases the amount of personal protective equipment that's required because it's being done at home with the parents and the children. So it's, it would be a very effective way of taking pressure off the system while ramping up testing. Well, Dr. Glogauer, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, let's hope that they speed things up in the province because it would be nice to have a saliva-based test here in Canada soon. I'm sure they will. I think that testing for COVID should be easy to get, and I think we're doing a great job here. I, I just called at like 7 o'clock in the morning to my public health um, uh, association or agency, and I said, um, you know, I'd like to book an appointment. They call me back by 9. I was in with my appointment at 1.30 in the afternoon, and I was told about it at 9 in the morning. So that, I think, is is pretty convenient when it comes to a COVID test. Then I got the test done. Uh, waited for, and it was a little longer than normal. It should be 24 to 48 hours for results. It took about three days, and I suspect it's because they didn't get my test out to the lab in time by day's end or something like that. By the way, the guy that got my spot that didn't have an appointment, his test, because I saw them pick it up, went out in time. So his test was my test. So he not only took my appointment time, but he also got my lab results earlier than I should have. Yeah, I'm stuck on it. I have a problem with that. I, you know, I'm one of those people that will give you the side eye if you start to, you know, there's an obvious lineup and you come beside the lineup acting oblivious. It's like, you know what? We all went to kindergarten. I don't know what you're dealing with. I'm sure it's important. Back of the lines there. Did this woman actually come up to my husband while he's waiting in the LCBO line? I was watching. We were in um, Southampton. I know I'm taking it off course here for a second. But she literally was going to everyone in the line at the LCBO. It was a blazing hot day. People are lined up um, asking if she could get in line first because she had a dog in the car. And, uh, you know, my husband's you know, she didn't get to him. He's farther down the line. But she had the the nerve to ask this woman who had like a child that was way too big to be held. You know, when your kid just is exhausted, but they're too big now to be held. But she's he's draped over her like a sack of potatoes. He's just limp and she's holding on to him. She's trying to get, you know, whatever it is she needs from the LCBO. She's waiting in the blazing sun. This woman actually had the nerve to say, can I have your spot? Because I have a dog in the car. Meanwhile, here's the best. Here's the clincher for the story. If you're thinking that that's very cold and you shouldn't leave a dog in the car. Yeah, you're right. I, I care about animals, right? I wouldn't leave my dog in the car. The She leaves out because I find out where her car is. I look that there's also a driver in the car with the air conditioning on with the dog in the car. Somebody did give her the spot. That's but I a just, completely different story. That's not a dog in the car. I know it's not, not, but my point is I don't trust people. Yeah. I don't trust people, and that's why I have a problem with Shoppers Drug Mart. Possibly 
becoming a place where you could go for COVID-19 testing. Because the whole idea is if you have no symptoms and you just want to get tested, you could go there and get tested with ease. I think people would lie. I think people could have a blazing headache. I think people could have the sniffles. I don't trust that they're not going to go there. I don't love this idea. Dave, do you like the idea? No, I mean, I'm kind of 50-50 on it. I mean, I like the convenience of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's great to just walk into a shopper's arm and just get tested instead of going to like a hospital or one of those assessment centers. But uh, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, mixing in with other people and I, I, I don't know, they, like, like you said, they could be lying unless they did it yeah. separately, like set up a tent outside. But I don't know yeah, how you're okay. going to do that in I'm the winter. I'm with you on that. Like, I don't no, know how I'm you're going to do that, that in the winter. But if you have a separate entrance, then maybe you could make it work. What if you work at a shopper's drug mart? That's Calling true. All yeah, people all that the work at a shopper's drug mart. Yeah. You're not wearing a hazmat suit. Like when I went to get tested at the public health trailer, they had like their hazmat suits on. They were all, you know, they were suited up. What if you're just working near the pharmacy and you're stocking shelves and people are walking in for COVID tests? That makes me worried. Shane, do you have the same concerns I do? Yeah, I said to Chris, I, I think you're dead on. And, uh, and I said the same thing that Dave said to you was that, you basically, most shoppers have one entrance in and one exit out, and that's it. You, you don't really have a, a separate entrance to let these people in. And then if you get one infected person in the store that does test positive, well, now you've got a contaminated store you have to shut down. Yeah, or you have to at least contact Trace and let everybody know you're going to have to get the COVID test. I don't know if it's a great idea to come here because we had a positive. To me, it doesn't seem... Um, like a smart way to go. And mainly because I don't trust people. And I think people have proven that they can't be trusted. We're going to have a, um, a doctor on, a researcher who did this study uh, based in the States. I'm not sure why. We'll ask her, why did you base it in the States? Um, but that Americans that are COVID pos- positive uh, lie. They lie sometimes about, like over half of them lie about their symptoms. Hey, George, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, hi, Kelly. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I'm one of those people who haven't been to a patio, let alone walking into a store and knowing that other people, or even a hospital if I don't have to go, uh, into into that scenario. Why would anyone want to infect good, clean water with anything at all, even those who go in not knowing if they have it? So I think it's a, a higher risk, and I would stay away for shoppers. I wouldn't be buying it. I actually would move my mm. prescriptions to a smaller independent instead. That's what I would do. Yeah, the other thing is, if it, it, George, and you brought something up, I wasn't even, I was thinking of working near the pharmacy, you know, if you worked uh, near the pharmacy stocking shelves, but I didn't think about, you know, people that could be compromised that have no other way to get their, um, you know, pick up their medicines might be walking into or taking their chances like my parents do all the time. And I constantly say, can you just get delivery? And they're like, well, we were just, we were wearing a mask and we're just going out for a little while. And I'm like, I you know, people just are, well, they have COVID fatigue, but why put them in further harm's way? I mean, that's the way I look at it. But, you know, Scott, you're coming at it from a different point of view, and I respect that because we're all coming at things from a different point of view. Can you share why you like this idea? Right. So uh, we run a, a small manufacturing facility. Uh, we make equipment actually for the healthcare industry. Um, and we uh, have our employees, they go to get tested once a week because we can't afford to shut down. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, it's not just willy-nilly like you're going in there for the flu shot. They need to think about it. But it's really, really impractical to have to send, you know, my staff either to Etobicoke or up to Orangeville or Brampton 
where they could just come in and go to a local pharmacy and get tested. Or I've been advocating for the government to have mobile testing sites to come to us. And I think that that's the way to do it, have mobile testing sites come to you. But, you know, the whole reason people are getting tested is because they think they may be infected or they want to tell their boss they're not infected. No way should they come into a store, especially a pharmacy, if they think they're infected. That's where I'm concerned. Yeah, but I I, I think it doesn't have to be like every shopper's drug mart. It can be selected. And, you know, as long as, you know, if the LCBO can set up, you know, lines and everything. I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, Shoppers Drug Mart is a large organization and they can figure out how to do it. Maybe they sublease a building that's vacant next to them. Yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. And let's face it, if they're anywhere near downtown, there's going to be a lot of rentals available. And that's the sad reality. Appreciate the call, Scott. Just talking to Chris earlier on before the show about that black man being shot by cops in the States. It's just uh, another video that is just hard to watch that is um, being shared and passed around not only news outlets, of course, because it is a uh, big story, but also uh, social media. There's a, a new video that I noticed yesterday being passed around social media. This is obviously easier to watch it's posted by york regional police and it shows how canadian authorities can and are responding to alleged organized street racing i don't know about you but in my neighborhood since the pandemic started i hear a lot more of those souped up cars at all times of the day zipping around and uh, that's the story in york region so they came up with project dragnet which they launched in 2020 andy Patton and is a spokesperson for the York Regional Police, and he joins the show now. Welcome to the program. Hey, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for being here. So what was the original goal of Project Dragnet, and and when did you uh, come up with this project? Well, this project came out of uh, two things. One was uh, numerous complaints coming from the residents of Vaughan uh, regarding uh, car meets that were going on, loud noises coming from those car meets, uh, people doing burnouts, racing around the streets in the area, uh, as well as the rise in the number of street racing charges and high-speed driving charges that we were seeing as a result of COVID-19. So uh, that was one of the the, the things that that occurred was that with less vehicles on the roadway, uh, it looks like, you know, people just took advantage of, of those the reduced traffic and speeds of vehicles went, went way up. So our officers in our Road Safety Bureau uh, put together this project to really target people that were doing stunt driving, high-speed driving, and organized street races. So this was put together as a direct result of the pandemic kind of facilitating this type of organized street racing, you know, people looking for a thrill. Oh, absolutely. And and we saw it because of, you know, lower traffic rates, there were people taking to the streets and using them as racetracks. So uh, we, we've released numerous videos over the past, uh, you know, few weeks from our helicopter Air 2, which has been uh, one of the, the best tools for us uh, in helping to fight street racing, where they're up in the sky and they're watching these organized street races and some of them taking place on rural roads, some of them taking place on more major roads in York Region where uh, the vehicles are shutting down the roadways. Uh, you know, they have a flag person out there just like you see in the movies, dropping the flag and off go the cars. But uh, the real danger here is uh, not only for the drivers who are involved in these races where they get speeds well over 100 kilometers per hour, but the people standing around watching. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long ago that we saw right in downtown Toronto uh, cars doing burnouts in the middle of Young and Dundas, right in the middle of that intersection. 
And what we see in those videos is everybody standing around with their phones out, getting as close as they mm -hmm. can to these spinning cars to try and get that next amazing Instagram video, which is uh, putting themselves in tremendous danger. And that's, you know, really what we want to prevent here. Yeah, they could also win a Darwin Award. So that's uh, something they could be going for. I was, you know, speaking of burnouts in the middle of Young Nanda Square, we've all seen that video shared on social media. I was in Brampton, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and we were stopped at a light. I think it was at Chincusi, let's say. It was one of the major intersections. And a car just all of a sudden, uh, they had the green light with them, decided to take the opportunity to go out into the middle of this intersection and just do a donut. Uh, we were, my husband and I were just looking at each other going, what, what is going on right now? Are we seeing what's happening? So how much of this do you think is, is a direct result of the pandemic facilitating, you know, organized street racing and people becoming more emboldened because they realize that the roads, you know, might be a fun place to try and test out their hobby? Yeah, there's definitely been a correlation between uh, COVID-19 and uh, the rise in uh, street racing, stunt driving on roads. Uh, but I think another factor that uh, needs to be taken into consideration is social media and uh, people doing these thrills and trying to capture them on their cell phones and on video to have the next trending video online. And, and I think we're, we're seeing that uh, some of these videos garner huge attention, lots of views, which ultimately probably are leading to you know, revenue generation for some of these people who are doing them if, through advertising on, on some of these platforms. So, uh, you know, the, the crazier the stunt, the, the more views they're getting. And it's unfortunate that they're using uh, our roadways to do this. But uh, I can tell you, you know, our community is not tolerating it. The number of calls that we're getting on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights uh, for this aggressive driving, these loud sounds. In fact, in Vaughan, one of the, the issues we were seeing, there were cars attending these meets uh, with extremely loud exhaust systems that are designed to backfire and create a loud banging sound, we were responding to sounds of gunfire calls uh, oh. coming and attending these parking lots and finding that uh, its vehicles backfiring. And in fact, we uh, laid a criminal charge of mischief on one driver for that uh, very offense because they were doing it near an area where there's lots of high-rise condos as well as uh, a senior's residence. And all this activity is taking place between, you know, usually 11 p.m. all the way through to 2 a.m. So huge disruptions in the neighborhoods and, you know, for no reason, just for, for some personal thrills in the next Instagram video. Let's talk about the particulars of Operation Dragnet. Can you tell us about how it worked and how you targeted locations known to be used for gatherings of, you know, modified vehicles and races? Yeah, so the main part of our intelligence gathering was from the community. So it's people that were calling us, telling us every Thursday night, there's a group of, you know, 30 to 100 cars that are meeting in this particular parking lot. And, and we take it from there. So we gather that information and then we put officers in that area. Uh, and we're working with other agencies as well, with Ministry of Environment. Uh, are there helping us out doing uh, checks on vehicles to make sure that they have all the proper equipment on them for, uh, you know, environmental controls. Because that's one of the things that gets removed, our mufflers and catalytic converters uh, and, and that's where you hear the loud sounds coming from vehicles. So what we do is we set up uh, areas where we do inspections on the vehicles coming in and out of the meets. Uh, that's one thing. And then as well, we have uh, our helicopter up uh, maintaining observations from the air, watching for vehicles traveling at high speeds, either going to these meets or away from the meets. And we put another video out again a couple of weeks ago of uh, some uh, motorcycles that were at one of these meets and then left and head on headed down to the 407 and we're racing across the 407 at nearly 200 kilometers per hour and you can see them yeah. in the video weaving in and out of traffic and again 
you know, the danger they're putting themselves in is just unbelievable. Um, but, you know, at least our officers are able, especially with the helicopter, to follow uh, these these vehicles and then eventually get them stopped and, and, you know, in many cases under arrest and charged criminally. When you go to uh, these meets, is the goal to make busts or to deter people from joining so that they this is just not something that they're going to do? Well, the goal is to try and keep people safe. And that's the, the, the one of the troubles that we face, you know, with, with the people who are attending these meets. A lot of them are car enthusiasts and they are there to show off their cars and the money that they put into their cars and, and they love their cars. We don't have a problem with, with those people and what they're doing there. The problem is when we get people who are there to cause trouble, to to have these the stunt driving incidents to, to create the problems and whose vehicles are not roadworthy that are designed for a track but they're not using them on a track uh, and then they take them to the streets so it's a very small percentage of the of the car enthusiasts that are that are a problem for us and a problem for our roads and ultimately a problem for road safety but you know those are the people that that we're targeting and you know they're creating nuisance in the neighborhoods and uh, it's just not going to be tolerated. So we're all for car enthusiasts. Many of our officers are car enthusiasts themselves, but, uh, you know, it's the ones that take it too far that uh, cause a problem for everybody. So York Regional Police uh, have released this video of Operation Dragnet and its successes, along with black and white aerial footage of suspects and, and arrests. The feature stats on the success of Project Dragnet. Could you outline just a few of those um, you know, charges and, and stunt driving charges and the like that, that you actually uh, were able to lay during Project Dragnet? Yeah, absolutely. This was just in a few weeks that uh, 20 stunt driving charges laid. So that would be for offenses such as, you know, doing burnouts or speeds in excess of 50 kilometers per hour over posted limits, uh, 28 speeding offenses, uh, equipment offenses. That's the big one, 167 of them. So those are vehicles that uh, are for whatever reason are not meeting uh, requirements to be on the road, such as brakes, tires, headlights, license plates, things like that. Uh, 13 arrests. Another big one, 10 criminal charges, uh, including dangerous driving, mischief uh, for disturbing and disrupting neighborhoods, uh, and 21 license suspensions. So, you know, in just a, in just a few weeks of activity there, um, a lot of charges laid. But more importantly, what we were seeing is a reduced number of cars uh, at these meets. And it really was towards the end of the, the project, the car enthusiasts that were out there, not the people that were doing the organized street racing before and after. Are the car enthusiasts happy that you've cleaned up the the element that would be unsavory coming to their uh, meets? Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. Uh, I'm sure some appreciate the police presence. Uh, I'm sure some right. don't. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, we're there for a reason. And I think the people who uh, spend a lot of money on their vehicles and, and keep them uh, roadworthy and in line with all the, the laws out there probably do appreciate us being around. Um, but, you know, ultimately we're there for the community. And again, it was community complaints that led us here and that we had to address them. And we've successfully done that. Okay, so now that Operation Dragnet has wrapped, you're not giving up on people that are stunt driving? No, absolutely not. We still have a lot of warm weather in the forecast, so uh, we know that the stunt drivers are still going to be out there. So we'll be watching uh, as the winter months uh, approach, though, when the cold weather comes. They usually put their cars away for the season, so winter is usually a quieter time for this activity. But, uh, you know, we still got a lot of weeks left, so we'll, we'll be out there monitoring and watching. Andy, I appreciate your time. You have yourself a fantastic day. Thank you very much. 
Cheers. Andy Paddenden, spokesperson for the York Regional Police, just giving us an idea of how, you know, uh, operations like Operation Dragnet are successful in um, breaking up these alleged street racers that organize uh, street racing. And, you know, it's it's a new hurdle for police to jump over the idea of social media and you can kind of organize where you're going to meet. However, it also is an advantage, right? Because people aren't that intelligent. So if you can get onto a social media group where street racing is being organized and you're a police officer, then you can be tipped off as to where those meets will happen. But once again, it's all about the community, um, you know, just alerting officers to where they need to go. Well, that's it for the Kelly Cutrera podcast. Join me weekdays, nine till noon, live on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.